Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. Hey listeners, in this episode, we get to talk about one of my favorite topics, leadership. Join us with guest, Jerry Fu. All right, so today we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Our guest, Jerry Fu, is a pharmacist and leadership coach. Getting fired was the wake-up call he needed to realize the urgency of improving himself as a leader. Once he helped facilitate a national leader development seminar with PLEI in 2012, he grew confident enough in his leadership abilities to become a pharmacist in charge. That decision saved his career. His leadership experience opened up work opportunities he wouldn't otherwise have been considered for. He has since founded Adapting Leaders LLC to help others in the same way friends helped him, becoming certified through the International Coaching Federation. He now offers one-on-one coaching and group workshops covering topics such as fighting apathy and leading without titles. He has coached leaders in Phi Lambda Sigma, Phi Delta Chi, and Beringer Ingelheim. Jerry, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Oh, Hillary, excited to be here. Well, thanks for joining us. And now that our listeners have heard a little bit about your background, maybe you can fill in any gaps from that intro or share a bit about your personal life. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've lived all over the map. Um, my parents came from Taiwan. We started our journey in Wisconsin, then came down to Tennessee, where I finished pharmacy school, and then also uh, currently live in Houston, Texas. So I pick up a, a couple accents along the way and a little extra cultural hobbies, whether it's exploring cultural restaurants or salsa dancing. <laughs> so it's just a whole big mix of things. Um, other recent wins. Uh, the book I contributed a chapter to on conflict resolution um, got pu- uh, picked up by Wiley and published last Tuesday, and it's called Secrets of Next Level Entrepreneurs. So a uh, lot to celebrate in a, in a, in a crazy mix of um, events. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wonderful. Um, thanks for sharing that. And, um, you know, I think uh, what's really interesting about your book your bio, and I hope listeners kind of agree with is, you know, we always see all of the successes and, um, but, you know, being able to share and learn from our failures and what do we do with that failure? You know, do we fall forward, um, is really important. So I love that, you know, you share that, you know, openly about, what you decided to do and the investments that you made in yourself. Um, so maybe you could, you know, what, how, what was it uh, that really like fired you up about uh, leadership and what were some of the, you know, maybe books or different things uh, that really helped to kind of spark your interest uh, into becoming a leader? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think one of the big shifts in thinking was uh, to take ownership of exactly why I got fired. Um, You know, leading up to that moment, I was in this really, you know, 
comforting but ultimately unproductive habit of being able to deflect or find other things to blame whenever something went wrong. And working for the company that I did, they knew this is unacceptable, right? They're not paying Mm -hmm. me to give stories or excuses as to why I shouldn't have to get the job done or lower expectations, right? They're paying me to get a job done. And so, yeah, it was, that was the first wake up call to realize, you know what, Um, whatever I was thinking or believing uh, needs to be evaluated and adjusted uh, to something more productive and effective. The next wake up call happened in, in the job I had after that, which is where four of my paychecks bounce filling for crooked doctors. And Mm. second wake up call, right? Where, how do you Mm -hmm. confront the boss that is clearly ripping you off and, you know, in a way hanging you out to dry, right? You know, you're, I'm jeopardizing my license for this guy. I'm not even getting paid for it. And so in the middle of all this, just, you know, looking on Amazon randomly, trying to find books that sounded good for leadership, but I needed a more focused approach. And so when I started to get to know leaders that I respected, that I got to work alongside. Uh, for instance, in PLEI, they started pointing me to books uh, and other resources to really help me nail down the finer tune uh, bits of practice, like hard conversations or uh, more productive mentality. One book in particular that was a, a turning point was called It's Your Ship by Captain D. Michael Abershoff. He talks about the, the turnaround and transformation of the USS Benfold from the most delinquent ship in the Navy to what he calls the best damn ship in the Navy. And one of the best tips in that book was to think like your boss. And when you think like your boss, you begin to anticipate, how do I look after my boss? How do I support my boss? What would make my boss the best boss um, I could possibly have? And the crazy thing is, is that once the boss gets promoted because, you know, you're bringing out the best in your boss, uh, one of two possible things happens, right? One, when the boss gets promoted, who's going to go with him? Right. The teammate that helped him set him up for success. Or even if that doesn't happen, when I get promoted or if I get promoted, right, I realize I've already done the mental homework to know what it takes to be a good boss because I've already started thinking like him. And uh, so that was one big tip. Uh, the other one from the book was to really build solid relationships, to get to know your people, which gives you an inventory of what your team is good at and what tools and skills are available to you. And then as a leader, instead of trying to impose what you think is necessary and appropriate, you can collaborate more with your teammates. And there's more buy-in when you do that, right? Because when they help design the policies and the culture for the company, uh, you know, you still have your challenges and iron things to iron out, you know, uh, but uh, your chances of success are much higher because you took the time to actually uh, care about your people and, and set them up for success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, and, you know, I, I love that you framed it as changing your mindset because I totally agree. I think that, you know, when we kind of change how we think and kind of adopt more of that growth mindset, you know, we're not, we're not finished learning at the end of pharmacy school. We're on a, a lifelong journey of learning. Um, and so that's a really important point that I hope listeners will take from this. And then, you know, one of my um, 
favorite books along the way was Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. Uh, another, I think these military leaders really have a thing for uh, leadership as the other one that you mentioned. And, you know, not blaming others and taking your own ownership and how does, how does your leadership impact that? So, um, yeah, I love um, to be able to share some great resources and books with, um, with others. Now, um, Jerry, tell us a little bit more about what is PLEI? Um, how did you come to find that? Tell us a little bit more about that for people who are unfamiliar with that. Absolutely. Yeah. So PLEI stands for Pharmacy Leadership and Education Institute. It is the leadership nonprofit arm of the Phi Delta Chi fraternity, uh, professional fraternity. And so uh, that Phi Delta Chi, for those of you not familiar with the fraternity, uh, for a while they structured their national meetings where they would deal with fraternal operations and um, agendas in odd-numbered years, and then they would have a national leadership development seminar in even-numbered years. And so instead of dealing with votes and you know uh, initiatives to move the fraternity forward, uh, it moves the fraternity forward in a different way where people in the entire uh, seminar, all the participants go through the same curriculum that, that's facilitated by by the, the people in charge. And so, uh, yeah, they, they are de- devoted to whole body leadership within the profession of pharmacy. And so whether it is contracts with California Pharmacists Association or other professional organizations like APHA, right, they partner to make sure that people uh, are recognized for leadership development and not just holding titles as leaders. And so, in my development, I had the chance to facilitate a, a workshop in 2012. And we talked about that's what changed my mindset because before I just said, wow, I, I, leadership is hard. I don't like these difficult conversations. I just seem to make things worse whenever I try to address an issue. Um, let me just avoid this altogether because it's just not worth the headache. But then mm-hmm. when I got paired up and saw Michael Negretti's leadership up close as he, you know, taught me how to facilitate these workshops and he brought up the best of me and I was just so motivated to come through for him. And I had to ask myself, you know, how did he do that? And so I had a chance. That was the first time I had a chance to reflect and say, you know, what exactly made him so effective in, in, in bringing out the best of me? And I said, it came down to about five things. And the first is that he's fun to be around. He's very approachable. Uh, he's not like, oh, I caught you at a bad moment or he's in a bad mood. And even if he is, he would apologize for it. Number two, he's fun to learn from. Right. He's always learning something interesting. And, you know, I, I would steal his book list. And now in a, <laughs> to return the favor, he's he started to borrow some of mine. Um, number three is that he's always tinkering. Like he's always looking, how can I make this better? How can I make this more fun or how can I make this more uh, understandable? Number four, he's a tireless worker. There's no question how hard he works. He's such a good tone. And then number five, he's very collaborative. So after he makes all these changes and, and tweaks, he says, hey, Jerry, you know, I did this and I, shuff, you know, I shuffled this around. What do you think of this? And you realize, hey, I want to keep up with this guy. And so uh, when he inadvertently gave me uh, his leadership blueprint, um, that's what I adopted for myself. I obviously still put my own uh, spin and personality on, on some of the on some of his blueprint because obviously I don't want to be a Michael Negretti clone. But people can tell you know, that I, I've been around Michael Negretti when when they see my leadership in action, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, lots of good pearls there uh, for people to take away. So another thing that you've mentioned is, you know, getting buy-in from your team, developing relationships, and really um, taking 
taking uh, your like a real interest in designing uh, your practice, your work, you know, getting that input from uh, your coworkers and things. Talk a little bit more about the importance of that. Yeah, yeah. Trying to, the general term, right, is trying to fit square pegs in round holes is, is usually uh, not a preferred way of, of uh, you know, putting a team together or trying to bring out the best of them, right? Like with these military books uh, or military backgrounds, right, there is this uh, temptation to say, hey, look, you know, fall in line, find a way to fit the role that you're given. And, you know, then that's how you get, you know, credit and praise from your boss, right? Uh, for some people that are willing to conform, maybe that works, but we're at a stage in leadership where you're better off, you know, yeah, you need to find, you need to find out exactly what your team is good at. So I'll give a concrete example. So, um, you know, one of my technicians is very artistic and I noticed that anytime we had to redo the schedule for the next month, she would always draw, you know, really like pretty artwork around the sides of the calendar. And so, you know, I got curious and said, yeah, how do you, you know, how'd you do that? How have you, how have you been, how long have you been doing this? And she would tell me, and, you know, so we were able to look for whenever we needed like some graphic design projects or something like that, we would ask her to help, you know, draw, you know, artwork for these flyers or promotional materials. Right. And so now we're tapping into her innate skill set. That's not something we had to take time to develop. I mean, sometimes you have to, but, but why, you know, if you had to start at the starting line or you start 50 yards ahead of the starting line, why wouldn't you start? <laughs> Give yourself a head start, right? By building on the skills they already have. Other people are, you know, extremely organized or you realize, hey, you know what? Uh, you've already been using this software system for quite some time now, you know, like Pioneer or BestRx or something like that, right? And you realize, hey, you know what? Can you train some of the other technicians that you know, aren't as familiar with the software, right? And so now they're in this developmental role and they get to share their knowledge. And of course, that obviously they feel important, right? Not because we're trying to make them feel important, but they do feel appreciated to say, hey, you know, I see your skill set and hey, let's let's use that to to make a, a stronger team. And and you know, from there it's not hard to motivate them to want to show off. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, getting that reminds me of another book, um, Good to Great, where they're talking about get the right people on the bus and then you put them in the right seat. So, um, and, you know, seeing people's talents and things, um, you know, strength finders, um, individualization, and, you know, be, I think as a leader, we've got to see what are those unique things that people really, um, have, you know, natural talent for and try to put them, let them you like, what do they like doing uh, a lot? And how do we get them doing more of that? So I love that really great example that you were able to share. Um, what about, you know, helping pharmacists have better business sense? You know, we're really good at pharmacy practice and the clinical skills, but, you know, frankly, we're a little, we've got some gaps uh, in terms of, you know, how to think of, um, of, you know, as a, as a business and, and, you know, maybe that's a contributor for why, um, we have a few challenges in, in, you know, reimbursement and pay and setting up d new practice models and things. Um, cause you've got to get paid for that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, 
from what I've observed, right, the the schools that are in place have a vision for what they want pharmacists to be, which is, as we've discussed, you know, clinical specialists. So ideally, it would be, uh, you know, on a collaborative practice where you're working with like a physician and maybe some physician assistants and some nurses, right, all for the sake of treating a disease like diabetes uh, or hyperlipidemia or things like that in a in a way that really brings out the best in everybody. Which is which sounds great until you realize, hey, how do I justify this in terms of you know dollars and cents, right? Because unless the people who signed the paychecks understand what kind of value you're bringing, uh, it's kind of hard to justify what you're doing, right? Whether it is saying, hey, um, you know, my my services can pull in easily, you know, two hundred thousand, two hundred fifty thousand, so my you know hundred thousand dollars salary is more than justified because of the extra value I'm bringing to the company. Or, you know, all the medication errors, I can quantify all the ones that I'm catching and fixing and designing preventive measures so that you're saving over $10,000 in, you know, uh, repairs or, or remediation. And then, you know, that's not on top of all the lawyer fees that you don't have to pay because we're catching everything internally, right? And until pharmacists get a better sense of what they're worth and know how to justify that and negotiate that, yeah, right, it doesn't mean much. When we say, hey, we're a clinical specialist, and we say, so like, well, how much should you pay? You know, how much should we pay you? And you're like, oh, whatever you can. It's like, that's just not going to go well for you, right? <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. same thing with just even in a clinical or in a community setting, right? When I have to like upsell gummy bears just to offset the fact that my clinical counseling is given away for free, right? That's just not a, a realistic business model. But this is exactly what we do, and this is what we settle for because these are the things that were in place before us and we just haven't done more to say, hey, you know what, maybe there's a better model that helps justify that, yeah, we our knowledge is worth something, our advice and our services are worth something and mm-hmm. we don't need to subject ourselves to commoditization just to hopefully get the salaries that we think are, uh, that we deserve. Yeah, and that leads to kind of an, another uh, topic of how can pharmacists better advocate for the profession and have some, you know, wins from a legislative perspective? Mm, Yeah. (laughs) You know, we always like to think that we can solve the world's problems in a 30 minute conversation, but at least this will be a start, right? (laughs) So, um, I mean, and I was thinking about this the day before and I thought to myself, oh, you know, what would be a really great, you know, question to, to plant here? And we have to ask ourselves, you know, how is the current climate for starting and supporting pharmacy businesses, right? Um, do we elect pharmacists to office, right? Uh, like in Tennessee, right? You know, uh, Re- Shane Reeves and, you know, Rick Sane have, have had a high profile just in, in, you know, trying to get legislator legislation in place to support the pharmacy practice, right? Um, so, one approach, right, is, you know, we could try to just, hey, hey, you know, I'm going to open up a pharmacy in this, you know, kind of chase after whatever money I think I can get that insurances can't touch. But what if we did more to really, yeah, get more pharmacists legislatively active so that we can get more policy in place to protect pharmacies once they're open? Um, And yeah, I I wish there were more wins to celebrate. Uh, We do have some big ones right around PBM payouts and things like that, which are nice because there needs a higher level of transparency for any healthcare practice to to really flourish. Uh, But yeah, I think if pharmacists really just 
came together and made this more of a priority to, Hey, let's, let's have a discussion. Hey, let's, let's host more discussions. Let's raise awareness. Let's yeah. Get, you know, get to a point where senators have no, no choice, but to call us instead of us continually trying to call them, you know, because we have so much leverage when it comes to patient care and, you know, these other big health issues where we have, they have no choice, but to say, Hey, you know what? Uh, we need to involve pharmacists here because, you know, they've earned the, they've earned their seat at the table, you know, like COVID was a great example of that, right? Healthcare practitioners were burnt out. And so all of a sudden, all these pharmacists were mobilized to help give vaccines and dispense medication to do that. And, you know, yeah, uh, you know, as, as hard as that pandemic was, like it gave us an opportunity to, to have higher visibility and more credibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to your point, if you're, uh, if you don't, have a seat at the table, you're on the menu. So <laughs> how can we get more pharmacists? You know, we've had uh, Congressman Buddy Carter from Georgia uh, in the, the U.S. Uh, House of Representatives re- um, for a number of years now. Um, and he was the sole one until I believe 2020, 2021, uh, a pharmacist from Tennessee, East Tennessee, Diana Harshberger became the second pharmacist. So we've got two pharmacists in Congress right now. Um, but a whole lot more physicians. Um, I'm not exactly sure about, uh, the number of nurses, et cetera, but, um, definitely some opportunity for, um, more pharmacists, if they like policy and and that sort of thing, to you know maybe throw their hat in the ring and and get experience, um, as you mentioned, in at the state level, um, like Shane Reeves and some others in Tennessee. So, um, good tips there. Um, so, Jerry, any other kind of you know calls to action that you would recommend uh, for? you know, our listeners and, and pharmacists out there? Yeah. Yeah. So many to pick from, right. Uh, where to start? Um, I think, I think the, a simple step, right. Is to, is for people just to kind of unite where they are, right. Like do how well do you know your work team right? when it comes to, uh, you know, wanting to learn together, right. Maybe. And it's hard to, to find time to develop people in the middle of what feels like a continually urgent, you know, healthcare system that likes to put out fires because it shows how it shows the immediate need for the value that we provide. But what if we did take some time to maybe host a, like a, a legislative webinar or session, you know, every month or every, every so often, just so people know, Hey, this is what's going on. This is where the profession is going. You know, how do we want to, to shape that, whether it's at a local, state, or national level, right? Um, who do we need to network with? Who do we need to to get to know better so that we can build the right relationships? Because you need people with both influence and authority if you expect to really move the needle on anything in the practice. So, um, yeah, it would be some combination of, hey, let's really learn what's where the practice is headed and what, what factors drove it there. And then also, hey, all right, let's get to know the people that we know that can, you know, pull the levers and, 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 and move things and that a lot have a lot of, you know, opinions that people respect so that we can build a robust network and, and increase the chances of actually seeing something move forward. Um, but that would be a start. So, yeah, you know, just don't, I, you could just be like, yeah, just, you know, email your local senator, right? Find out who's in office and, and see what they can, what you can do to, 
get in front of them so that you can begin to have a conversation. Um, not out of manipulation, but just to say, hey, you know, just to ask them, hey, where where is pharmacy as a priority on your list? And, you know, like just tell me, you know, yeah, what what can I do to support you in that regard? So mm-hmm. that would be a start if I had to ask. Yeah. Great. And so, Jerry, as our final question that I love to ask all of our guests is what is some advice that you would tell your younger self or for other pharmacists out there who are just getting started in their career? Mm. If you, if you don't work towards a career by design, you'll settle for a career by default. Mm. So I'll, I'll let me elaborate so that it doesn't just sound like some, you know, nice thing that, has no real concrete evidence. So my own journey, right? I I started with a chain pharmacy because my parents uh, felt like that was the vehicle to the stability that they never had. Uh, my dad mm-hmm. went through a lot of job transitions, and you know he struggled uh, with this idea of stability because he didn't have benefits or insurance or consistent, you know, four hundred one k or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they said, yeah, you know, this is the company that you should work for for 20 years. And they had their own idea of what that was. And the funny thing was I was unhappy when I first started with the job. And, but then I, there was a point where I actually had a season about a year and a half where I was actually really happy with it because I had a flexible schedule. And so I was able to do a lot more of things that I wanted to do. It was a higher quality of life. And I was, I knew how rare that was, um, within chain pharmacy. And so I got scared, right, to lose that. But then when it went away anyway, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden I was just back to being unhappy. And I just said, okay, you know, and it wasn't until I said, okay, you know what, I need to, I need to, uh, to go a different path. And then part of my own growth is recognizing, hey, you know, I got this job at this great company, uh, the next one, which was a teaching job through a consulting company. And Again, I, I just didn't work at it enough to, to really carve my own niche and, and prove my worth. And again, I had to sell for it by default, right? And so when you're continually chasing other companies to provide the fulfillment instead of really working toward like getting a certification or, you know, in a field you really love, uh, you know, you're just going to settle for what's available to you. And mm-hmm. so... You know, how can you be more proactive from the start to say, hey, you know, yeah, I may not have it all figured out from the beginning, but here are some intentional steps that are going to take, whether it's through certification or networking or otherwise, to be sure that um, my career is heading in the direction that I wanted to and not because someone, you know, who offered me a nice enough salary and benefits kind of got me off path off and, you know, gave me a nice detour, but ultimately still a detour. So that's what I would tell myself and others starting out. Yeah. I love that. Uh, how to to craft a career by design and not settle for a career by default. Well, Jerry, thank you so much for sharing uh, about your own leadership journey and some great ways that, um, you know, pharmacists are, and, and anyone can um, pursue down the path um, for them to become better leaders. Uh, it was such a pleasure to have you as a guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Thanks, Hillary. Happy to be here. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast, 
rating, and reviewing it. Share it with friends. And if you want to be a guest or know a pharmacist leader who has a great story to tell, connect with me, Hillary Blackburn, on LinkedIn and check out our Facebook page, Pharmacy Advisory Group, for updates on new podcasts. Thanks for listening. 